So have you ever misbehaved? No stories, all right? We, we don't want all the personal stories here. I saw an article recently, and it had a title that said that children misbehave 800% more when their mothers are in the room. Yeah, yeah, 800%. That's incorrect math, of course, but the article went on to say this. A toddler misbehaves because of the love, care, and safety he finds with you. Isn't that comforting as a parent? They misbehave because they feel safe with you. It goes on. It's his way of telling you how much you mean to him and how comfortable he is with your presence. Well, that may be psychologically true, but I mean, really, there's, there's something about that moment that the toddler is pouring that carton of not-yet-expired pumpkin eggnog over your head while you're sitting on the leather sofa that doesn't say, Dad, you mean so much to me, right? Either as a child, as a teenager... As an adult in the milk and bread line before it snows, all of us have misbehaved, right? At least one time in life, we have all misbehaved. As Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew's assistant beaker, once said, trying to understand people's behavior is like trying to smell the color nine. It's impossible for us to, to deal with behavior and misbehavior. It's hard to understand. But does your behavior matter? Does your behavior matter? Does how you behave matter? Well, it does. But maybe not just for the reason that you might be thinking it matters. See, your behavior matters not just so you can keep your name off the chalkboard at school. Your behavior matters not just so you can keep that video of your birthday party where you tried to hit the pinata to keep that off social media. Yeah, your, your behavior is more than just those things. Your behavior matters for you. It, it matters for you. It matters especially for your joy. Your behavior matters for your joy. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's see if we can find out together. We continue our, our series 7G, The Speed You Need. We'll be looking at a different G uh, every Sunday. Again, we'll be looking at Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Philippi this morning, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Our G this morning, our second of our seven Gs, our G is gospel. We'll be looking at the gospel today. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. This is what Paul writes. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Have you ever heard of a life verse? A life verse is like you find this verse from the Bible and it kind of becomes your motto, your fight song, your theme song. You know, it's, it's all there wrapped up in one. I, I think I was in middle school the first time I heard the concept of a life verse. And I immediately was so intimidated. I was like, oh, I got to get a life verse. If I'm going to be a Christian, I got to get a life verse. I got I to get this thing together. And that is true. Uh, the command to have a life verse is in the fourth chapter of Second Hallucination. So be sure to, to keep up with that. You definitely need to find a life verse. At the time, 
I started really reading my Bible a lot. Uh, 12, 13, 14 years old at the time, I really was just devouring God's word, reading all the time, and I eventually found my life verse, and it was this verse, Philippians 1.27. Now, at the time, I wanted to be a politician. Really, I wanted to be the president. And so I started thinking, hey, you know what? One day, when I'm a famous politician and someone asked me for my autograph, I'm going to sign my name and put Philippians 1.27. <gasps> Here comes my life verse. I'm going to put it into my life. Because nothing says conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ like daydreaming about someone asking you for an autograph, right? I mean, right there. So sure enough, yes, in case you're wondering, I sat on the top floor in life science class at North Augusta Middle School, and I practiced autographing my name and writing my life verse underneath it over and over and over again. Now, to this day, I'm pretty sure no one's ever asked me for my autograph, so I don't, I don't remember it. So I don't think I've written my name and my life verse together, so maybe I should have just paid more attention in life science. Maybe that was a, a better route for me. But maybe you don't have a life verse yet, and you're looking for one. Well, you know what? There's a lot of translations of the Bible out there. Uh, there's a lot of paraphrases of the Bible. So if you need a life verse, you, you can go find one. Uh, when I preach on Sundays, I'm, I'm usually using the New American Standard version of the Bible. The New American Standard is, is kind of known for taking the original languages and transferring them, translating them word for word rather than thought by thought. So it's kind of a very literal translation. The other reason I use New American Standard is because when I got my master's degree at graduation, I'm standing there in seminary. They, the seminary president gave me my diploma, and he also gave me this really, really nice leather Bible that was New American Standard. Uh, now, contrary to popular belief, Jesus did not speak King James. That wasn't his language that he used. However, the King James Bible is a very good translation of the Bible. So is the New King James Bible. So is the New American Standard and the English Standard Version and the Christian Standard Bible. There are a lot of good translations of the Bible. And a paraphrase like the message could be very helpful early in the morning when your mind's not working yet to kind of stir you toward the things of God. Now, why this little sermonette on Bible and Bible translations? Here's why. I really, really want to encourage you to read the Bible. I just, I really want to encourage you to, to engage with God's word every day. The letter to the Hebrews says that the truth found in the Bible is living and active. It means that the, the Bible is a, a book that's alive with purpose and energy and help and advice and counsel and so many other things. Paul was writing to Timothy, and he told Timothy, he said, this Bible, this truth that we find in the Bible, it has everything you need to equip you for every good work. And Peter, he kicked it up a notch. Peter said that the truth found in the Bible has everything you need pertaining to life. Everything you need pertaining to life. Therefore, we could say that the most important thing that you do every day, at the very least one of them, is to read the Bible, to hear the Bible, to listen to the Bible. But let me just repeat that. Of all of the most important things that you will do every single day, there are very few that are more valuable than you reading the Bible with your own eyes or hearing the Bible with your own ears. There is something profound about God's word. The truth of the Bible 
can encourage your heart, can change your life, can calm your mind, can energize your soul unlike anything else in the universe. It's, it's how God has designed his book. So for the glory of God, for the good of your family, and for the good of your own soul, read the Bible, listen to the Bible, engage with the Bible. There is truth and help and hope for you in God's word. Now, when I got saved, my mom bought me a new Bible. It was an NIV study Bible, the New International Version. And that's the version of the Bible that I memorized Philippians 1.27 out of. And here's how the NIV says it. It says, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whatever happens, if your spouse breaks down in tears, if your toddler breaks out in, in hives, if your teacher breaks out the pop quiz, if your car breaks down, if your boss breaks up the break room, if your tax bill breaks the bank, if your heart breaks with tragic news, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking, ah, here we go. One of them guilt-tripping, do-better sermons. No, 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 no. That is not where we're going. So stay with me. My son sent me a screenshot of something he was reading from a book the other night. And, and it began with this math equation. Listen to the equation. More right behavior and less wrong behavior equals godliness. Chew on that again. I'm going to read it one more time. More right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. And then it went on to say something like this. That equation sounds heroic. It, it sounds good. It sounds like a, a good math equation for Christianity, except for the fact that it is cruel and deceptive because it hinders us and keeps us from seeing this truth. And this is the truth it noted. We can never resolve our sin by working on it. See, the danger of sin is it will convince us, hey, no big deal, you can just work on this. It's, it's fine, you, you can do better at this. The danger of do better sermons, which let me just say, most of us, if we look back over our lifetime, we are drawn to them. We are. We are not drawn to the heavy theological truth of the gospel. We want three points, you know? We want three points and three stories. You know, we, we want in some way just to have something, you know. Years ago, my dear friend Janet is with the Lord now. Uh, I had been away from the church for about a year, and, and I went and uh, was visiting with her and, and her husband Vernon in her house, and, and we were talking, and, and we, just, we were good friends, so we talked about all kinds of stuff, and then eventually it got around to the church. And Janet said this. She said, the saddest thing now is that I feel like most people in the church could care less what's being preached every Sunday as long as somebody stands up during the sermon time. If we're not careful, our hearts will be, be drawn to that. We'll say, well, hey, just, just give me a little something to boost me. You know, give, give me a little do better. But here's the problem with do better messages. 
they begin to work on our minds and we go, well, hey, I can do better at this Christianity thing. I can work it out kind of like I work at the gym, yeah? I can take my sin and I can moisturize my sin kind of like I moisturize my face, right? That, that'll work, you know? Hey, I can stay out of sin just like I stay out of debt. I'm responsible with money. I can, I can stay out of sin. And all of a sudden, we are wrapped up in this world of believing a lie. We're being deceived. See, sin will tell you, hey, you know what? You can work on it. You can do better. But it's not true. You see, the only way sin can be resolved is through repentance, meaning that we agree with God this is ugly and awful and terrible. Please rescue me from this. The Apostle Paul said this to the folks at Rome, Romans 6, 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, if you work for sin or if you deceive yourself into thinking you can work out your sin, the payment, what you can guarantee that you will be paid is this picture of death eternal everlasting never ending always terrifying death that is the promise that comes with trying to work your sin more right behavior and less bad behavior will not make you right with god so is there any hope is, is there any hope for for escaping the wages of sin is there any hope for escaping death is there any happy certainty for escaping death yes a thousand times yes and here it is Romans 6 23 but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord see only Jesus could have worked out the problem of sin and only Jesus has worked out the problem of sin to receive salvation from jesus means that your ultimate problem with sin has been worked out now temporarily it's not worked out i mean we're, we're still always going to struggle with sin we're we're always going to have to deal with the effects of sin our sin and the sin of others and that's never going to change until we breathe our last breath but to be in Christ, to receive the free gift of God, of eternal life in Jesus, means that the full and final and ultimate problem you have with sin has been resolved. And that is amazing news because it means you are no longer condemned. It means you are free. Free to do what? Free to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a do better message. It's a get best message. You, you get to do the best thing in life because you've received salvation. We get to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Could you argue that we have to as Christians? Yeah, but we get to. We get to walk and live and talk and think in a way that is consistent with the message of Jesus. We get to live in a way that makes Jesus look good. So what does all that mean? Well, let's unpack it a little bit. The word conduct here means to live as a citizen. 
Paul's writing to folks in Philippi. They were part of a colony of Rome. They understood that they were Roman citizens, and that was a huge, gigantic deal. To be a Roman citizen was a fantastic honor. You didn't want to do anything to make anybody feel bad or look bad on Rome and your citizenship. Your citizenship was a huge deal, and Paul knew that. They knew they understood citizenship, so he's inviting them to catch a glimpse at the greatest joy they could possibly know in life. And what is the greatest joy they could possibly know in life? The greatest joy they could have is the truth of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. The greatest joy they could have is the truth of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you hear Lee Greenwood sing God Bless the USA? Come on now. I mean, especially when it gets to that, that kind of third chorus part and the drums are just rat-a-tat-tatting. I mean, it's, it's that moment, right? I mean, you, no matter where you are, you know, even if you're in your car, but especially if you're with a group of people in a stadium or, or wherever, and, and, and that begins to happen, this thing happens. You know, there are these emotions. You, you, you get goosebumps. You might, even, you might even tear up a little bit. And that's good because that's exactly what that moment is designed to be. It's a, it's a moment where we feel some purpose and some thankfulness. And that is good and that is right. And we should feel that way as citizens. We should be thankful. There are men and women who have given their lives so that we can go to work and go to school, so that we can go to church, so that we can enjoy life, so that we can help other people have a future. We need to be thankful. It should be part of who we are. Now, you may have a crummy attitude about our country right now. You might. But I just want you to know that it is 800% foolish and ignorant not to be thankful to be an American. 800% ignorant and foolish to spend most of your time whining and complaining about what you don't like instead of being thankful for what we do have. So what's the absolute best way you can be thankful? What's the absolute best way you can be thankful to be a citizen of this country? Here's how. The best way that you can be thankful for being a citizen of this country is to first and most be a citizen of heaven. It's the best thing you can do. Why? Well, because you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, meaning you're a citizen of the gospel, and the gospel comes from heaven. What is the gospel? Well, it means good news, but not just any good news. It is the best and the greatest and the most fantastic good news ever. So just do the math, okay? If your life is defined by the best and the greatest and the most fantastic good news ever, don't you think that would impact the citizens around you? If your life is, is wrapped up on the best and the greatest and the most fantastic good news ever, don't you think it will impact your community, impact your country? Wouldn't it make logical sense that if your life is energized and fueled by the best and the greatest and the most fantastic good news ever, that you would have an influence on the world that you live in? I would say yeah. 
That's why we say one of the most valuable things, if not the most valuable thing, that you can do every day to energize your conduct as a citizen is to read the Word of God, to hear the Word of God. And one of the best ways that you can live as a citizen is to live first and most as a citizen of heaven. The best and greatest and most fantastic good news is who we are. So the best way we can make a difference in this world, the best way we can make a difference in our life, the best way we can make a difference anywhere we go is to be people of the gospel, to live lives that are consistent with and and match up with the good and great news of Jesus Christ. And what is that good and great news very specifically? Paul was writing to the folks at Corinth and he gave them a message. He made it very, very clear what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's, that's it. That's, that's the good news. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ raised from the dead by the power of God on the third day. That is the message of the gospel. It is simple, it is basic, but it is bold, it is beautiful, it is bountiful, and it is booming, and it is the hope, it is the happy certainty of your soul. Nothing can take it away from you. But someone might say, okay, well that, that sounds like some biographical information about Jesus. Some good historical information about Jesus of Nazareth. But what does that have to do with me? Fine, okay, he, he was crucified. He, he was killed. He was murdered on a cross, and, and he was buried, and he came back to life. Okay, maybe those things. What does it have to do with me? Paul's writing to the folks at Rome. He said this, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is not just good biographical information. It's not just good historical information about Jesus of Nazareth. Here, Paul says, it is the very means by which God displays his power in saving. Saving who? Saving you saving me. It is the gospel that God uses to bring salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from eternal condemnation. Salvation from eternal pain, eternal terror, eternal death. Salvation from eternal separation from pure happiness. Eternal separation from pure joy. Eternal separation from pure satisfaction. This is the gospel. It is the message of the gospel that God uses to rescue souls from being eternally separated from him. It is the message of the gospel that God uses and God is the greatest good in the universe. So let's pull some of that together now. So you you have the best and greatest and most fantastic good news in the universe, and that's the way that you get to the greatest good in the universe. You feeling the math a little bit now? You feeling the, the picture of what we're getting at? 
See, we get to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ because the best and greatest and most fantastic good news has found us. We get to do this. Dear Christian, you've been saved. You've been redeemed. You've been rescued. You've been secured with God. You're no longer in a battle with God. The battle's over and he's won. Things are right with you and God. You have peace with God. And and right now you are standing in the grace of God. You don't have to. You get to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel found you. So whatever happens, it doesn't matter what happens this afternoon or or what happens Tuesday morning or what happens Thursday night or what happens on Valentine's Day or or National Melba Toast Day or, or any other day of your life. It doesn't matter. Whatever happens, the gospel has found you. And because the gospel's found you, live in a manner, in a way that is consistent, looks like the gospel. Live in a way that makes Jesus look good. Which brings us back to the whole life verse thing. You know, a life verse is is not a bad thing. It's not. And it has a a heroic nature to it. But it can be dangerous. Let's see if I can illustrate a little bit. When I was in college, uh, I was often invited um, to uh, sorority formals. I was a good date. I've told you this before, you know? I mean, I was fun. Uh, I didn't drink. I treated you nice, and I was a great dancer. Look, it's just, it's just how it was. And so I went to a lot of these things on a pretty regular basis, and, and I was always end up in some very interesting conversations. And I remember at one particular sorority formal, there were a few of us, and we were in a conversation, and the conversation moved to things of God, and, and eventually somewhere in that conversation, somebody said, you know, hey, you know, um, what about, you know, what the Bible says about we can do all things through Christ, you know? And so, so that came up, and, and so there's this guy who's kind of sitting next to us. Um, he had not been drinking a lot of oat milk. He had been drinking something else for a long time. And at that point in the conversation, he interrupts. And he goes, hey, hey, that's my life verse. <laughs> There's some danger in life verses. And here's two cautions. One if you get a life verse, you might ignore all the other verses. In other words, all the verses are really our life verse. But the other caution to remember is this. You'll never be able to perfectly keep your life verse. You can't. I I haven't. (laughs) I haven't perfectly always conducted myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus since I found my life verse. I hadn't even done it this morning. But here's what does happen when I pursue it. When I pursue what the gospel has done for me. When I pursue a life that helps Jesus look good and and helps me understand what's happening to me, three things happen. One, God is glorified. Two, people are edified. 
and three, I am satisfied. But that's what happens when I don't try to do better. But when I say I get the best, I've received the best, I've been saved and redeemed with the best and greatest and most fantastic good news ever. See, when the gospel grabs our heart, when we pursue living in a way that honors Jesus, God is glorified and the people around us are edified and we are satisfied. And guess how the math works? If we don't pursue a life where we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, the opposite happens. God is not glorified We're a stinker to be around, and we are not satisfied. The gospel, it's good news of great joy for all the people. So when we make the gospel one of the speeds of our life, you know what happens? Our comfort increases, our peace increases, and our joy increases. I saw something recently about a guy who went to his pastor. He said, Pastor, he said, uh, my neighbors are not Christians. In fact, I, I think they have some kind of false religion. Can you, can you come over and talk to them, maybe, maybe bring them some literature or something? And the pastor said, well, I think I have something that will definitely help. And he pulled out his Bible and he read 2 Corinthians 3, 2 that says this, you are our letter written in our hearts known and read by all mean, all men. That's, that's the literature. <laughs> Look, none of us are perfect, all right? None of us can be perfect neighbors. We can't be perfect spouses. We can't be perfect parents. We can't be perfect kids, perfect pastors, perfect whatever you are. None of us are perfect. But if you are a Christian, you get to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the best and greatest and most fantastic good news ever has found you. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And because he does, we have every reason to make him look good.